You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to the Energy Insiders podcast in the very first episode of 2020. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is co-host David Leach from ITK Services. David, how are you and how has your summer been so far? I am as well as I could expect to be. Thank you, Giles. And I trust all our listeners are enjoying this 2020 so far, other than those in Wuhan, of course. Um, and and there's already so much to talk about, and we're only uh, one twelfth of the way into the year. Well, that's right. We're all supposed to have a bit of a holiday, but really, um, energy and electricity and climate change hasn't left the front pages of the uh, newspapers and the radio and, um, and and all the websites, thanks um, to the bushfires, which has sort of brought climate change and Australia's policies back into focus. But um, we might get to that later on. But look, we've also seen an awful lot happening in the electricity space, and um, we'll come to some of those issues first. But I guess the big thing this week has been the announcement of a major battery storage project in Queensland. And David, we've been chronicling a lot of announced projects in recent months, but um, as you've pointed out, not much has actually come to pass and sort of, you know, actually sort of starting building. But um, this one will. AGL has signed a contract 15 years for a big battery in Queensland. It's bigger than the current Tesla big battery, although that battery is getting bigger and will probably pip it at the post. But I guess the interesting thing from this is um, that it's the biggest unsubsidised battery in the country. Well, it is unsubsidised, and that is, of course, the point that will be made. Uh, It's also interesting, this is following the usual modus operandi for AGL. It doesn't want to put any of its own capital into anything. Uh, So it's just agreeing to contract the output, and uh, it gets charged a rental fee for having that facility available to it uh, by, by Vena. Um, it's in Queensland, uh, which is going to be pretty useless in the short term, in my opinion. But as the uh, mainly because the prices are so low, so I can't quite see how you're going to. I can see that they're going to be able to buy electricity cheaply in the middle of the day to charge the battery. But I can't uh, whether they'll get a sufficient spread to earn a return. It's quite interesting. And then as you, as frequency control services, as as uh, our guest uh, special guest uh, points out today. Uh, but uh, and so there is a market for that in in the short term in in, in Queensland, and it is the first mm. big battery in Queensland, and and be, um, and so that that's why I guess there's room in the market. There's probably room in for one in every state just to start with at least, or just for frequency control. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, there's a couple of smaller batteries there up at Lakeland and at Kennedy Energy Hub, which of course hasn't been connected because of various commissioning issues there, which has caused a dispute between the developer and the EPC contractor. Look, you mentioned our special guest. Earlier today, um, after the announcement, I caught up with the um, Australia head of Vena Services, which is the company, uh, Vena Energy, sorry, which is the company which is going to build and operate and maintain the battery and is contracted to AGL. And I spoke to the Australian country head, Anil Nangia. Let's have a listen. Anil Nagia, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Ah, pleasure to join you, Bud Jones. 
Look, pretty exciting announcement um, in Queensland. 100 megawatt, 150 megawatt hour battery and a uh, huge solar plant in the Darling Downs region of the state. Let's go to the battery storage um, component first. You signed a 15 year contract with AGL. Um, you're going to build and operate and maintain this battery. Why does it make sense in this particular part of the grid? Um, yes, thank you, Giles. Um, well, basically, where we're putting the battery is in part of a very strong part of the network in Queensland. It's got uh, it's where the Surat Basin is, where there's um, quite a lot of gas wells. So there's potentially up to about a thousand megawatts of load in that area. We're about nine hundred metres from the Wandoan South substation, which is a large substation that PowerLink built about three or four years ago. And um, because of that, it's got quite good high marginal loss factors. It's well connected to the grid, and it's got strong electrical infrastructure. And why do we need battery storage in that part of the grid? I've heard two stories, uh, two, 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 two ideas um, today. One is the excess of solar energy from Queensland, although the rooftop solar and the growing number of large-scale solar power stations, and also because AGL, which has contracted the output, um, are just about to finish complete finish construction of their 453 megawatts, I think it is, Cooper's Gap Wind Farm. So is it mm. for both solar and wind or...? just to do other stuff around the grid. Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head there. Basically, with the penetration of solar, especially on the roof and um, uh, utility scale, there's significant amount of energy being put in the grid in the middle of the day, and that's depressing prices, and that's basically starting to get curtailed. The battery has the advantage of storing that solar in the middle of the day and then being able to release it in the evening when the solar is ramping up and when actually you need the power. It also helps balancing out the Cooper's Gap wind farm so they can actually play that or use the energy from the wind farm and use that energy and store that into the, into the battery and then release it when it's uh, more valuable. So is this being built with any sort of government assistance at all? And do we, um, if, and if not, does that mean then that the battery installation can actually make money and be a profitable investment just on energy arbitrage and maybe a bit of FCAS play as well? Mm, yeah, so that's it. So this has no government support or government um, uh, subsidy in it. This is purely a commercial battery and it shows that battery technology and costs are coming down, that they are now viable in the large utility scale range. So it needs to be obviously a large scale battery to get the economies of scale. And uh, yeah, AGL believe that it's quite a viable proposition. So that's why they're willing to enter into a 15 year contract with Vena Energy. Well, that's fascinating. And presumably, I, I don't know how these contract works. They get to operate it um, as they see fit. So basically, I imagine what they do is that you build it, they pay you a maybe like a lease or a yearly lease, a yearly fee for doing whatever they want with it. And then they do the numbers themselves on whether they're making money from buying and selling energy or doing other grid services. Is that right? Hmm. Yeah, about right. Obviously, the contract terms are commercial and confidential, but basically, Vena Energy will build it, own it, and maintain it for the life of uh, the contract, which is 15 years, and then uh, AGL will have full operation rights and they'll manage to um, uh, operate it, store the energy when they feed, fit and discharge energy when they feel fit. As well as that, in the short term, there's quite potential uh, revenue from FCAS and ancillary services um, with the amount of uh, renewables coming to the grid, um, frequency control. and. And ancillary services is quite valuable. And as you can see from the Hornsdale battery, it, it's quite a good revenue uh, stream and makes uh, gives that additional revenue stream that you need for batteries. 
So it looks like it might get pipped by Hornsdale, which is getting expanded. Um, it would have been the biggest battery in Australia otherwise, but it looks like you get pipped at the post because of the expansion of the Hornsdale battery. But it will certainly be the biggest unsubsidised battery in the country. It, it certainly will be the biggest unsubsidised battery in the country. And yes, we're just a bit smaller than Hornsdale, but um, it's still got uh, significant technology advantages. And um, we think that it'll be quite a, a valuable asset for the next 15 years. And have you chosen a supplier for the battery yet? We're in detailed discussions with a couple of suppliers. We're looking at obviously name brand battery suppliers um, uh, for the plant, but no, we haven't finalised that yet. Now, what else is planned at Wandoan? I think in the past you've mentioned a possibility of building up to 1,000 megawatts of um, large-scale solar at that site and, and, and battery storage. Well, we've now got the first detailed plans for battery storage. So what do you plan to do with the solar component now? Yeah, yeah. so Wandoan is a huge site. It's about 2,000 uh, hectares that we have. Um, the plan is to build that up into a large renewable energy park in stages. The first stage is the battery, and with battery technology advancing, it becomes quite viable to build a standalone battery now. Um, going forward, we're hoping that um, we'll start building um, a solar onto the site, and there'll be solar in stages. The site is permitted up to 1,000 megawatts, so it's a matter of how many contracts and how much offtake we can get to, to what size the final solar plant will be. You've talked, I think, today in the press releases about a 650 million solar plant. Does that suggest mm -hmm. that you've kind of already thought about what that first stage of solar will be in terms of capacity, or is that still subject to the various contracts that you might enter, enter, in, might enter into? Yeah, so normally it'll be between the 100 to 200 megawatts of first stage. Um, the aim in solar right now is scale. You need scale to bring down some of the, the costs and make it uh, viable and compete with other forms of energy. Um, so, yeah, I think we're in the 100 to 200 marks is a, a nice bite-sized uh, solar project. <laughs> well, fantastic. And then um, you, you also say that it, the battery storage might get bigger over time, and I guess that will be brought in then to accompany your increasingly bigger solar plant or maybe even for other customers as well. Yeah, well, as I said, the site is permitted for actually 450 megawatts of battery. So the 100 megawatts is just the first stage of it. The way we've designed it is we can add to the battery in a modular scale and keep expanding the size as, as the need arises. I think that's one of the advantages of battery technology is where you can add to it. It is quite modular and it can grow over time as the need uh, arises. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, look, tell me, what else has um, Vina Energy got planned? I mean, so far, um, you're Singapore-based. You used to be known as Equus Energy. Um, so mm -hmm. far, I think I'm right in saying that you're operating the Talem Bend solar farm in South Australia. It's 95, 97 megawatts. Is that your only mm -hmm. operating asset to date in Australia? In Australia, that is. Um, it is Talem Bend uh, is the operating asset in Australia. We're actually um, doing quite a lot of activities, obviously, outside Australia. Um, we've currently got 58 operating assets of a mixture of solar and wind, and we're probably, we're, we've got slated for 24 more solar and wind uh, projects to be built this year by VNNG across um, Southeast Asia, which includes Japan and Taiwan. Uh, we've been quite successful in, Japan, in Taiwan. We've got a pipeline of about probably 600 megawatts to be built there in the next three years. Mm. And what else might you have in Australia? I think you've got an actual project pipeline of 2,000 megawatts, but maybe most of that's in Wandoan, or is it uh, some stuff <laughs> elsewhere as well? I mean, maybe a second stage of Taylor and Bent, and I think you've been talking about battery storage at some stage um, down yeah. there. But, um, are you ready yes. to roll on that one? So, 
Yeah, we're actively looking at the second stage of Tail and Bend. Obviously, the Tail and Bend is a good substation, a good location in South Australia to connect onto it. And we're looking at developing another, um, you know, 80 odd megawatts there. Um, we're also probably looking at another smaller battery at Tail and Bend as well. We have a couple of more sites in Queensland, which we're, we're looking to permit up. And then um, we've got a couple of sites in New South Wales, which we're running through the permitting of it. Fantastic. And are those sort of solar sites or are they battery standalone battery storage or a combination of both? Or They're pretty much a combination of both. As I said, every solar site now has to be battery ready. Um, you know, that seems to be where the future's going is, is storage and um, battery technology is coming to the stage where it'll, it'll be quite viable and quite advanced. And that'll just mean that it'll facilitate more solar and more wind. Mm. It's fascinating to see that we, we in, in Australia we get a lot of projects which are kind of announced. In fact, oh, we're going to we're going to build this, we're going to build that, and then not you don't really hear much more because these are plans, these are projects, these are development applications, things like this. I guess the refreshing thing about this particular project is that you're actually going ahead with it, at least the first stage of it. How hard is it to actually get a project underway and built in Australia at the moment? Because we hear a lot about connection delays and commissioning issues and other sort of bottlenecks. Um, is it getting more difficult? <laughs> um, it is getting more difficult, but as my boss said, it's difficult everywhere. So we're not unique in it, it being hard to get a project away. Any project or any investment is, is a, a considered uh, action. It's not easy. Australia has its unique, unique um, challenges. Um, the grid and the grid stability is becoming an issue, which has obviously reared its head in the last couple of years. Um, uh, you know, for n uh, no real policy in place is, is sort of making it difficult from an investment point of view. Um, getting a long-term finance in place is obviously a bit hard um, and, and obviously the creditworthiness of the off-takers, which is quite important into getting project finance. So, yes, it is hard, but um, it's also hard all around the <laughs> Southeast Asia, as we've learned. So it's a matter of perseverance and um, we think that with perseverance and um, Bit of hard work that um, projects will get developed and they'll get developed in a timely and uh, cost-effective fashion. Well, good luck to you in the future with this project and with the others in store. Um, I know you've um, on the run and need to move on. So, Anil, thank you very much for joining Energy Insiders today. Thank you for your time, guys. And so that was Anil Nangia. He's the Australian country head of Vina Energy. David, um, they're talking about another 1,000 megawatts of large-scale solar. Um, I doubt very much they're going to be going into that into the merchant market in Queensland just yet they'll be waiting for more contracts to come by well I do think it's a good thing to focus on the battery itself I'll come back to AGL and Origin Energy a bit later on because uh, there's a big story of how they're missing out and part of that story is related to how well Next Era Energy is doing in the USA by actually doing a lot of wind in particular and solar projects. But the reason I mentioned, and the share price has gone up like a rocket reflecting that, but uh, the reason I mentioned Next Era in the context of batteries is because they just released their calendar 2019 results, which includes a forecast of all their contracted uh, battery projects that they have. And whilst they only did 10 megawatts in 2019 and 12 megawatts in 2020 forecast, they've got 600 megawatts forecast for 2021-22 and 786 additional megawatts for after 2022. There's no megawatt hour. And some of those, a lot of those are four-hour batteries. So, I mean, Next Era is by far the most successful utility in the world. It's the one that AGL and Origin should be copying, quite frankly. 
And you can see that they're moving into batteries in what I would regard as a major way, like 600 megawatts of four hours is what's that 2.4 gigawatt hours of, uh, of, of storage. And so, you know, Australia's got a bigger duck curve than, than uh, and more opportunity to use solar. So I think battery prices must be coming down quite significantly. And yeah. No, that's interesting, and um, and that was one of the points that Daniel Nangiem did make that the the, the the cost of the battery is coming down. I think it's one hundred and twenty million for the hundred megawatt, hundred and fifty megawatt hour project. Um, you mentioned before that um, AGO has been very good at not paying for things, and um, if you look at the Silverton Wind Farm and Broken Hill Solar Farm, they went into the uh, Park um, Joint Investment Fund, and that's path, probably a good decision. Path, path, with an F on the path, end. Sorry, Path. Yes, um, is AGO being clever by not doing this, or is it being too clever by half? Well, I think it's uh, age. It, it doesn't. It's really a financing question. But the point I've made already on this podcast, and will be making uh, a lot more, is that they're missing the opportunity in uh, variable renewable energy. The point about it at the moment is that wind and solar are at like twenty percent of total supply. But you know, in a few years' time, they're going to be fifty percent of total supply. And they'll probably max out just in terms of the amount of energy that wind and solar are supplying on average on any given hour of the year at something like 70%. That's what most of us would think. Now, that means there's only 30% of the market left to be doing firming power, whether that's coming from coal or from gas or from uh, pumped hydro or from batteries. And, and, and so if you confine yourself to that part of the market, you're really consigning yourself to history. Uh, and that's the point that I think both Origin in particular, which doesn't even have all these coal generators, at least not to the same extent, and AGL, are, 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 they're missing the point. If, you want, if they want to be stay relevant, they're going to have to do more variable renewable energy. And instead of buying everyone else's projects, they, they need to be getting in there and, and sorting it out themselves. If anyone can carry the sort of issues around transmission and the short-term uh, difficulties with solar, and believe me, there are plenty of short-term difficulties with solar as... Um, um, I've also been working on the Generator Statistical Digest, or at least reviewing it for Paul McArdle's Global Rome, and what a fantastic document it is. Um, although I should say I've, I've got a financial interest in saying that, but it is a very good document. And uh, uh, um, I, I, you can see from that, and we already know from ITK's own forecasts, that you can't make any money out of new utility solar projects. Giles, in the present price environment. So that utility solar needs storage. It needs it very badly. And by the way, it wouldn't help if the, it would help a lot if there were a few policies instead of having, you know, Scotty from marketing standing up there and talking about how he's just had a bright idea about gas uh, instead of, you know, why doesn't he read from integrated system plan and see what all these executive team, of course, when you're a politician, as, as Scotty from marketing said today, you have to have freedom to make decisions yourself. You don't have to actually listen to what the bureaucrats say uh, because ultimately they're not the ones that get voted in or out. They're just the ones that do all the work. But anyway, uh, sorry, Giles, have I gone off topic here? <laughs> no, no, you haven't actually. No, you're on a roll, David. I'm, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. Um, look, while you're on the topic of gas, um, it wasn't my next topic of conversation, but let's hop into it now. The um, Underwriting New Generation Investment Project. Now, this is this thing dreamt up by Angus Taylor soon after he became Energy Minister in late 2018. And they all thought they were going to an election in May 2019, which they did, and they all thought they were going to lose it. And he tried to rush through um, this underwriting thing, saying it was of the great utmost urgency. And look, in the end, he couldn't get it through. He found 
73 projects, I think, came into that, were offered. They found a shortlist of 12 um, dispatchable projects, one a coal upgrade with Trevor St. Baker, a handful of gas-fired power stations and some pumped hydro projects. No battery project made it there. Um, and it's interesting because that AGL thing that we talked about earlier in this podcast was actually an initial proponent for that but didn't make the shortlist. What um, Angus Taylor announced just before Christmas, hey, hey, um, uh, was two gas-fired, um, fast-start gas-fired generators, one in Queensland and one in Victoria. And I've got to say, I haven't actually written about it, but you have this week. And you point out, which was what I was kind of thinking about, why on earth would you want to put a gas-fired power generator in Queensland, of all places, right now? Well, it competes um, and, with the battery, uh, Giles. It's, it's, it's basically, other than the frequency control, which it can't do as well as the battery, essentially gas peakers provide exactly the same service as a battery. They run for short durations at the time of high demand. Uh, and and it, they really directly compete with each other. What neither of them do particularly well at the moment or, um, is, is like the four-hour market. So batteries are going to kill it in the five-minute market. In, in, the, in the four to 10 hour market, gas probably has a huge cost advantage uh, over batteries right now. It's in that middle ground, which is the daily balancing market, uh, where uh, I think the competition between peaking gas and, 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 and batteries is going to be tough. And the reason you would put it in Queensland, I did think about this, of course, is because there is going to be this big duck curve. That is when solar prices are going to be very depressed in the middle of the day in Queensland and eventually in other states. And you, you know, but you can't take advantage of that in gas. That battery can charge at that price and then discharge at competing with gas at the peak price. And the other reason for putting it in Queensland is of course, there's plenty of gas in Queensland, although in 20 years time there won't be, but right now there is. As mm. for the pro project in Victoria, it's um, whilst I, I can actually understand the rationale for that, by the way, the, it's, AGL only put their application in as a joke because they know the federal government. The federal government actually hates AGL personally and vindictively, uh, uh, and is very biased against AGL. Uh, something they're trying to fix up, but will take time. But the the gas power station in Victoria is basically going to be insurance. Even the Victorian government, I think, will support it uh, against the um, uh, the times when wind is low down there as Victoria heads towards its 50% renewables and particularly against insurance of your lawn closing early, which I think is uh, very likely. Mm, interesting. Look, I think the other major um, announcement that came over the last week was the um, the uh, regula regulatory approval the um, uh, for the new Interconnect uh, Project Connect, I think it's called, from South Australia to New South Wales. $1.5 billion, um, about 800 megawatts of capacity. Um, South Australia is very excited about it. Um, because they think this is a major step towards their plan of reaching net 100% renewables by around 2030. And I do remind people that that's a liberal state government um, and they eventually want to become renewable energy exporters and um, presumably that this uh, new interconnector will be a key part of that. Interestingly, David, the regulator approved it, although it completely smashed the two proponents' um, own calculations about how much um, of a net benefit it would deliver to consumers. It seemed that the, uh, the two transmission 
transmission companies involved, Electronet and um, Transgrid, were assuming that um, New South Wales coal would sort of flood into um, South Australia and um, beat gas on price and therefore lower prices. But um, the Australian Energy Regulator said, no, that's not going to happen because we're going to get more even lower cost wind. So while it's probably good news that um, it's not going to underpin New South Wales coal generators, um, it probably means a... Well, it's, well, it's, the it's a, it's a the AER stick to naval gazing, which they're probably pretty good at, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Giles. And look, three cheers for Daniel Dan von Holst Peckerman, who is the uh, Energy Minister in South Australia, and who we interviewed on this podcast. And I was fantastically impressed with what he said at the time, uh, and I remain impressed with his achievements. But the fact is that coal will st- still beat gas. South Australia has high electricity prices on average, as high as anyone in the country, as we know, despite the fact that wind is supplies 50% of the electricity at, at very low marginal prices. And uh, there are lots of reasons for that, but the main one is that gas uh, creams all the high prices, and that's the market that coal is going to compete with, and coal will essentially be able to push gas out whenever gas would have been operating. Uh, uh, what uh, uh, And so that's good. In the end, all the studies I've ever seen uh, show that uh, both South Australians and New South Welshmen uh, and indeed Victorians will all be beneficiaries from this one way or another uh, over, over time. Uh, and so, you know, this is my basic hypothesis uh, that we need a strong transmission backbone. And then we've got to couple that up with lots of uh, local distributed networks that are becoming more and more autonomous and the missing element in all, it's fantastic to have this line approved, I think myself. It's the first really radically new transmission line in Australia in many, many years. Um, and really will bring South Australia into the NEM in a way that, that it really hasn't been before because it will now have two different lines coming in, one from Victoria and one from, one from South Australia. And I know there's a third little one there as well. Yeah. The next element, Giles, that, that everyone, the AMO is really missing out on is the control systems because we're going to have to get away from these blasted synchronous condensers into the grid-forming inverters. And, you know, we've seen how long it takes to get transmission done. Well, let me give all our listeners a clue. It's going to take a lot longer to get the grid-forming inverters and the new control system going, and you can't even see the planning for it, let alone the actual ground being turned there. Absolutely. And um, just on that sort of case, we've um, we've been writing a little bit about what's been happening in Western Victoria and southwestern New South Wales, particularly with the restrictions on the output of five existing solar farms. And retrospectively, they were sort of cut back to half their output. That's caused a lot of grief down there. Um, another 10 projects have been told that in some form or another, they're going to be delayed. Projects have been told that they're going to have to form an orderly queue and be sort of connected one at a time. We're starting to see that this is having impacts on some other major projects, um, including some of the VRET um, auction projects, bloody disaster, you know, uh, frankly, uh, and, and such an unnecessary one. Uh, and it's putting all electricity consumers at risk uh, because the transmission infrastructure and, and system strength issues weren't addressed early enough. Absolutely. And look, I guess what we need there is an overriding policy. Now, you know, the the, the federal government went off and sort of said 50% renewables, we'd be reckless and economy wrecking um, during the election campaign. Now they're quite open about saying, well, we're going to get there anyway, thanks mostly to rooftop solar and because of the, you know, the momentum from various states. But wouldn't it be nice if we actually had a federal government in there just sort of recognising these technologies that exist now, the systems that need to be brought into place, the rules that need to be changed? Um 
Um, I'm not too sure we're going to get it with this coalition government. Um, I wonder whether we're going to get it with the next commissioner of the Australian Energy Market Commission. It was interesting to see his oh, um, um, John Peters' job advertised a um, couple, couple of weeks ago. Yeah, sorry, I'm talking a lot tonight, and I'll shut up in a minute. But uh, <laughs> uh, Scotty from Marketing today in his speech was talking about bilateral agreements between at the press club, where he uh, are talking about bilateral energy agreements or cl even climate change agreements between the states and the federal government. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I think uh, uh, we as uh, 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 should be looking into exactly what's meant by that because I haven't heard that idea before, but we can see the seeds were planted with the New South Wales federal government ar 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 arrangement. And, and you're right, though. The overriding problem here is that when this battery is announced in uh, Queensland, the Queensland Minister for Energy gets right up and makes a speech about it and is right behind it but when something's announced in uh, that's sort of um, in New South Wales or, or Victoria, the federal government's not really there. They don't support the ISP or they don't support the Energy Security Board. We want to see them out there backing it and getting behind those guys. They're their team. They're, it's not the federal, they're the team that right exists to make it all happen. And the federal government ignores them, making almost like someone in their bunker from World War II, and I can't say that, just making their own sort of dream rules up about how everything's going to work instead of uh, being on the bus. They're not on the bus, as we used to say in the financial markets. And they need to get on the bloody bus because at the moment they're a bloody speed hump, you know? And we're going to have to run over them. I don't mean to say that because I'm anti-liberal. I'm not. I support the South Australian government very much in what they're doing. And, and, and you could even support... Um, uh, thingamajig here in New South Wales uh, if you'd actually do something instead of just talking. Uh, but electric vehicles is another thing, right? There's massive reductions and, uh, that can be made uh, for, by Australians in having some progressive policy uh, towards electric vehicles. But there's nothing. Not a single state has really got a policy towards it. And that includes the Labor governments. It's just completely useless. Yep, and it's really time to act now. Uh, Matt Keane talking about talking about things and doing things. He has said that um, um, he will be unveiling his electric vehicle policy very soon. But um, as you note, he's just said that and he hasn't actually done it yet. So we'll wait with interest to see when when and if that happens. Um, David, um, anything else just to sort of quickly wrap up? Um, I think we're probably getting close to time and it's been a very entertaining first no, episode. The, the other thing I just mentioned is that I think, um, as we've pointed out in Know Your Name on, on your uh, fantastic website, Giles, is that uh, two other things to mention. Refer again to this Generator Statistical Digest. There's a lot of great information in that that people should look at. But in that, you'll see that most of the generators last year, and indeed in most years, make most of their money, or a lot of their money, in January. And so far, I think we've passed the period of peak demand in January, the five-year average. So we're getting out of the riskiest period. That's not to say that we still don't face reliability risks, but we've already passed, in my opinion, the worst peak based on history. So that's good news. And associated with that is that futures prices uh, have fallen very dramatically, uh, more in some states than in others, like in Victoria, and they've come down a lot. And so eventually, to, to a small extent, that's going to mean lower electricity prices in, in a year or 18 months uh, for most. So that's good news as well. 
Yeah, no, and the other thing that you wanted to mention, and I did forget about that, that was the um, an interesting study from Western Power, and um, they we've written about this, and I think you in particular have talked about this in the past, a community-level um, battery um, in a suburb, I think it was in Manjur, just south of Perth, and the idea here was that basically the street had, li- had reached its limit in the amount of solar PV that could be added, and they thought, well, one of the best things to do is basically put a battery at the end of the line and the end of the street, and um, and people can actually do contracts, so they can actually draw from that, ba- they, they can put into that battery through the solar and then they can draw down from it a certain amount and the results have been really quite interesting david yes indeed giles they, they're charging on that second one which i think the first one was a loss leader at a dollar a day for households that were connected the second one i think is more market oriented as far as i can tell and they're charging households a dollar 90 a day to access eight kilowatt hours of storage and i don't believe there are any wires and poles costs involved now, when a dollar ninety a day, when I got Excel to do the calculation, came to something like seven hundred and fifty dollars or something a year, not seven hundred dollars a year. Now, if you buy a uh, Tesla Powerwall, which is a very popular and, and high quality battery, and put it in your house, it's going to cost you a bit over twelve thousand dollars. So that's you know ten percent depreciation. That's twelve hundred a year plus your interest cost. You'll be up for. Um, a five percent of twelve hundred, another about seventeen hundred dollars a year. So the, these street level batteries are giving people access to storage households at essentially one third of the cost uh, of what they would get by putting a power wall in their house. It's not completely an apples for apples uh, comparison, but it's it's something. The savings are so great that I'm surprised that uh, you know even Victoria isn't uh, doing a, a bit more along those lines, or New South Wales. There's a lot of money in theory to be saved. Studies in Europe that I've looked at don't support the same level of savings, uh, but in, here in Australia, with so many ro- households connected to the rooftops, and I, anyway, I won't say any more about it now, because, but AEMO is going to be releasing a major study. I think it was supposed to have released it already, weren't they, Giles? And I'll, I'll be going over time here, uh, that, that looked at integrating the behind-the-meter sector into the, into the grid and how it could be run, and I think done properly, these street-level batteries uh, could provide uh, a, a, a great piece, piece of the business. Excellent. No, that, that's exactly right. Um, a really interesting um, choice and, and, and proposition. Um, David does tackle, look into this in a bit more detail in his Know Your M article, um, which appeared in Renew Economy this week. And we'll probably be looking at it further as well when we get some more time. David, thank you very much for um, getting back onto the podcast. And um, it's good to get the first episode out of the way. And we hope to have lots of interesting um, guests coming up in the future. And if you have any suggestions, then please let us know. Please give us your feedback please do um, leave a review. Um, I think it's probably best to do so on the iTunes platform if you can find your way there. Um, Tell your friends about it and um, also check out our other podcasts, um, Solar Insiders, which resumes this week, and also the Driven Podcast, which resumes next week. David, I look forward to catching up next week, the first week of Parliament, and um, everyone's going to be back on deck completely then, and um, hopefully we go more steps forward than backwards. Charles, we've got the good fortune of talking and working in the most exciting sector in the world, which is the energy transition, a 3.7 trillion business that's been completely transformed. And I'm sure our listeners will come along with us for the ride. Cheers for now. Cheers for now. And thanks also to our sponsors, Solaray Energy, who's been here with us for the start, and also Evergen. We thank you both very, very much. And we'll talk next week. Bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. 
With technology developed in Australia with the CSIRO, Evergen customers can maximise the return on their sustainable energy investment. Visit evergen.com.au and take control of your energy bills. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.